Thank the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You know, uh, the truth of it is, you are my family, and I am so blessed. I couldn't, I couldn't be more blessed than to have this incredible family and to see what God is doing through the man who's a visionary, who advances on his knees, and has trained up many other men and women to serve Christ so that this world will have the hope. I always enjoy listening to the worship because somehow... It always reflects what God has asked me to speak about, and I'm amazed by that. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord God, and the word would go forth and bear fruit, and hearts would be open to how amazing our Christ is, the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Heavenly Father. Your will would be accomplished and your work would be done. We pray these things in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name is above every other name. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. So tonight I wanted to talk about something that I think is really necessary for us to understand. And that is that the difference is clear. The difference is clear. But before I get into that, I wanted to tell you a story about a woman who really knew how to praise God. She was an elderly woman, and she was well-known for her faith and for her boldness in talking about God. She would stand on her front porch and shout, Praise the Lord! Next door was an atheist, and he would get so angry at her, and he couldn't stand the proclamations. He says, There ain't no Lord! Next door, there ain't no Lord. Hard time set in for this elderly woman. And she prayed to God to send her some assistance. So she stood on that front porch one more time and said, Praise the Lord, God, I need food. I'm having a hard time. Please, Lord, send me some groceries. The next morning, the lady went out on her porch and noted that there was a large bag of groceries. And she shouted, Praise the Lord. And the neighbor jumped up from behind a bush and said, Aha, I told you there was no Lord. I bought these groceries. God didn't do it for you. I did it. And the lady jumped up and down, clapping her hands, said, Praise the Lord. He not only sent groceries, but he made the devil pay for them. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you to reference Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is talking about some very important concepts that play right into what I'm going to be talking about, about the, the differences quite clear. You know, Paul knew that to believe in Jesus, it wasn't a philosophy. It wasn't a ritual, a religious ritual of any kind. The claim that Jesus is Lord didn't allow for either one of those. If Jesus is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of all creation, then all other teachings have to give way to him. All people have to bow down only to him. And there's a truth that Christianity is completely unique. Unique and different from all other religious systems. So what's the difference? Well, there's clearly objective proof that Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection was foretold by prophecy. Psalm 16.10 For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. And I could read 17 more prophecies at least that predicted Jesus would raise from the dead. And imagine just for a moment now 
that Jesus predicted he would raise from the dead, and it came exactly as he predicted it, despite all kinds of stringent measures to keep it from happening. You don't think the devil wanted that to happen. That's the last thing he wanted. In John 2, 12 through 22, it talks about the Jewish Passover celebration. And in the temple area, there were merchants selling cattle and all kinds of exchanging of money, etc. And you know the story. Jesus drove them all out. They weren't happy about that. But then it says in verse 17, his disciples remembered this prophecy of Scripture. Passion for God's house will consume me. Another version said God's concern for his house will be my undoing in Psalm 69.9. You see, God was fulfilling prophecy when Christ stood against religion that was ripping off his people. The Jewish leaders were not happy about this, and they demanded, hey, who gives you this kind of authority? Show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What, they exclaimed? It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this, the scripture tells us, when he said this temple, he meant his own body. So here's the natural religious mind meeting the spiritually attuned Christian mind. The mind of Christ. And after he raised from the dead, it says in John 2, 22, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed both the Bible, the scriptures, and what Jesus has said. And that's significant. They believed God's word and the prophecies and they believed what the Messiah had told them. They believed in the word of God. So the second point I want to make is that the apostles themselves testified to the resurrection of Christ, putting their very own lives on the line. And that still happens around the world today. What do you think the most powerful testimony in court could be? It's eyewitness testimony, right? Based on actual facts, based on the truth. 2 Peter 1.16, for I want to remind you that when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus the anointed, we were relying on what our eyes had seen of his glorious majesty, not on cleverly told fables. For I passed down to you the crux of it all when I had received from others that the anointed one, the liberating king, died for our sins and was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. And this all happened to fulfill scripture. It was the perfect climax to God's covenant story. Afterward, he appeared to Cephas. You know him as Simon Peter. Then to the rest of the twelve. And if that were not amazingly enough, on other one occasion he appeared to more than 500 believers at one time. Many of those brothers and sisters are still around to testify. And Paul says, last of all, he, he appeared to me, and I was like a child snatched from my mother's womb. So these apostles saw the truth before their very eyes of the resurrection, and they were willing to die for their conviction of the truth. But they never, ever took back their testimony, and their story never, ever changed. Paul was beheaded. Peter and Andrew were crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Matthias was beheaded. James was killed with a sword. And they still courageously spoke the truth to their death. What a difference between courageously dying for the truth and religious zealots. 
What is that difference between what they did and religious zealots? Author Wayne Jackson, in his book written in 1992, entitled, He Showed Himself Alive by Many Proofs, said the following, While many die out of religious deception, they do not go to their deaths knowing that they're perpetuating it hoax. In other words, the apostles who died for their belief knew that they were dying for the truth, and they could never deny that. They reported what they'd actually lived. Can you and I report in our lives that we're living for Christ? Does our testimony indicate that? The New Testament clearly says to us that we have to speak the truth in love. We have to tell the truth. We must tell the truth. Every human will someday face Christ, and he's the truth that we know. In Acts 16, 25 through 31, picture this. It's midnight. And in the darkness of their cell, Paul and Cyrus, after surviving a severe beating, are moaning and groaning. No, no, they're not. They're not moaning and groaning. They're praying and singing hymns to God. Can you imagine what the other prisoners were thinking? They know they've been beat to an inch of their life, and they're praising God. And the other prisoners in the adjoining cells are wide awake listening to this, listening to them pray and sing. Suddenly the ground begins to shake and the prison foundations begin to crack. You can hear the sound of jangling chains and the squeak of cell doors opening up. Every prisoner realizes that their chains have been unfastened, which is what Jesus does in our life. And the jailer wakes up and he runs into the jail. His heart sinks and he sees the doors that are all swung open wide. And he says, he is sure the prisoners have escaped and he knows this will mean his death for him. That's what the scripture says. He knows he's going to die. So he pulls out a sword to commit suicide. And at that moment, Paul sees what's happening and shouts out at the top of his lungs, Wait, man, don't harm yourself. We're all here. None of us have escaped. And the jailer sends his assistants to get some torches and rushes into the cell where Paul and Silas are. And he falls on his knees before them, trembling, you see, because Christ had just saved him from death. Then he brings them outside. Paul and Silas, and get this, he brings them out of the prison even knowing that it could have caused his death. And Silas and Paul said to him, hey, just believe in the ultimate king, Jesus. And not only will you be rescued, but your whole family will be rescued as well. So note that the soldiers are guarding the tomb, and they know that Jesus is in that tomb. So I want to read you a historical document. Keep in mind these soldiers guarding that tomb know if anything happens, they'll be put to death. But this is what somebody in the Sanhedrin said. It was from a letter by Justin Martyr. And he was in a dialogue with Trypho, A.D. 100 to 165. It says, the Jewish leader said this, A godless and lawless heresy has sprung up from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver, whom we crucified. It's amazing they admit that. But his disciples stole him by night from the tomb where he was laid when unfastened from the cross. And now they deceive men by asserting that he has risen from the dead and ascending to heaven. Now let's think about that for a minute. They're saying the tomb is empty. If any group wanted to say that he was in the tomb, it would have been them. They're the last people that want to see that tomb empty. They would gladly say, hey, go to the tomb and check it out for yourselves. He's in there. Joseph of Arimathea, he's a respected leader of our Jewish community. And he, he is on the high court. And he offered a tomb for us. And that's, that's what they would have liked to have said. 
And if the soldiers didn't care about their lives, all of them, every single soldier fell asleep. Who told the religious leaders they were sleeping? Who told them Jesus was stolen? Now, we really got to give it to the disciples at this point. They're so good that they moved a several hundred pound rock right underneath the nose of the soldiers without ever waking them up. You see, those that don't believe in the resurrection are in kind of an awkward position. You got to respect the disciples. My next point is the resurrection documents are in the most historically accurate book that was ever written in the Bible. If it says that there's an archaeological point here, eventually as they're digging, they'll find it. They've never not found what it said. So the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a central focal point that hinges upon all Christianity. And you can speak the truth and love to others about that. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now if we told you about the anointed one, how he has risen from the dead and appeared to us fully alive, then how can you stand there and say there's no such thing as a resurrection from death? You see, if Christ rose from the dead, he raises up us up from the death. Friends, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even the anointed hasn't been raised. If that is so, then our preaching has been for nothing, and your faith as a message is absolutely worthless. This is what the Scripture says. And what's worse, all of us have been preaching the gospel are now guilty of misrepresenting God because we have been spreading the news that he raised the anointed one from the dead. Which must be a lie if what you are saying about the dead not being raised is truth. Please listen to what I say. If the dead are not raised, then you are telling me that the anointed one has not been raised. And friends, if the anointed one has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is worse less than yesterday's garbage. You are doomed in your sins. And all the dearly departed who trusted in his liberation are left dying in the ground. If what we hope for in the anointed doesn't take us beyond life, then we are world-class fools deserving everyone's pity. Understand that the alternative to Christ being raised from the dead is that what we're telling everybody isn't the truth. And yet over 500 people saw it. And yet the disciples were able to just steal him away in the middle of the night. And yet all those soldiers were willing to give up their life. And you have proof text that the difference is clear between Christianity and every other belief system. Other belief systems don't even come close to what we believe. Christianity is unique in that good people aren't saved by their good works. In Holy Scripture, the religious people thought they were better than the sinners. And then comes along Jesus and he messes up the whole thing. He confronts the religious leaders. And he basically goes, hey, I got some bad news for you guys. You think you're good? Because you haven't committed murder or you haven't committed adultery? Matthew 5, 21. As you know, long ago, God instructed Moses to tell his people, do not murder. Those who murder will be judged and punished. But here is an even harder truth. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be judged for his anger. Anyone who taunts his friend, speaks contemptuously towards them, or calls them loser or fool or scum will have to answer to the high court. And anyone who calls his brother a fool may find himself in the fires. Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? You guys think you're so uppity. You guys think you're so righteous, and yet you have missed the point completely. If you don't speak with love in your heart the truth, then you are murdering somebody else's spirit. 
That's why it's so important that you belong to Bridge. And we speak truth and love. And we speak a positive message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We speak to one another and build one another up. We stand with each other. We divide the grief. We double the joy. Then Matthew 5, 28. He's like, I got bad news for you guys. As you know, long ago, long ago God forbade his people to commit adultery. Me, you may think you've got it all, all together and you've abided by this commandment, walk the straight and narrow. But I tell you, any man who looks on a woman with lust has already committed adultery in her heart. I don't think they were liking this message. Righteousness is the reason Jesus came, to make his people righteous through and through, but not through their own efforts, through his love on the cross of Calvary. The law wasn't made to show us how good we are, but how good we aren't. Because then and only then we'll realize that we need a Savior. I want to read that again. The law wasn't made to show us how good we are, but how good we're not. Because then and only then we'll realize that we need a Savior in Jesus Christ. That's different from every other belief system. And that's the good news of Christianity. Salvation doesn't depend on our hard work. Instead, it depends on what Christ did on the cross. What we believe is unique. What we believe is the truth. And we speak it in love. We need to depend on what Christ did for us by accepting the Father's loving sacrifice and sending his own son to take away our sins. In Christianity, we're not depending on a prophet. We're pointing to a living heavenly father who sent his son in our place and love, acceptance, and forgiveness for all of our shortcomings. He knew ahead of time. He knew we needed a savior. He knew we needed somebody that would love us, wrap his arms around us. Anytime we turn from him, when we turn back, his arms would be wide open, just like they were on the cross. When God looks at us, he looks at, through us at the filter of Jesus. He sees through the filter of Jesus and he sees adopted sons and adopted daughters. Other religions say, hey, obey and you might be accepted. Only in Christianity are you accepted because Jesus obeyed, not you. Now we obey because we love God because he first loved us. We respond in love. We don't respond in fear. We of all people do not need to be in fear. God conquered with love. Faith replaces fear. So now I want to read you a story that explains in Christianity that while we're unique from every other religion, we have some interesting things in common. And I want to start this by saying in essentials, we have unity. In the essential beliefs, we believe in unifying in the body of Christ. In non-essentials, we give liberty. And in all things, we do it with love and charity. So the Presbyterian Church called a meeting to decide what to do about the squirrel infestation. After much prayer and consideration, the Presbyterians, they concluded that squirrels were predestined to be there. And they should not interfere with God's divine will. Now at the Baptist Church, the squirrels had taken an interest in the baptistry. So the deacons met and decided that they would put in a water slide and hopefully the squirrels would drown. But unfortunately, the squirrels really knew how to swim. And so twice as many squirrels showed up. Now the Lutherans, they decided that they were not in a position to harm any of God's creatures. 
So they humanely trapped their squirrels and sent them to the Baptist. Two weeks later, the squirrels were back in the Baptist, and they took down the water slide. They said, this isn't working. Now, the Episcopalians tried a much more unique path by setting out pans of whiskey around the church in an effort to kill the squirrels with alcohol poisoning. They sadly learned how much damage a band of drunken squirrels could do to their church. But the Catholic Church, now they came up with a more creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels and made them members of the church, and they only see them at Easter and Christmas. <laughs> but the Jewish synagogue, they had it down. They circumcised the first squirrel and they never saw another one. <laughs> Let us close with our bridge decoration. <laughs> Can you stand and say this with me? And I want you to incorporate this as who you are. Because you have been adopted by Christ. And when the Father looks at you through the filter of Christ, he sees a son and daughter that he loves. He's called to a purpose, a unique purpose. I am a bridge builder. This is my season of favor. I am blessed to be my best. I will choose to love him first. I will worship fully, love deeply, and my commitment will thrive because I am praying for my community. Sorry. I am a carrier of peace. I will represent God's gentleness to myself and others. I will give out his gospel. I am blessed to be my best because I am a bridge builder. I love y'all. We are so glad that you joined us today. If you made a spiritual decision today, whether that be dedicating your life to Christ for the first time or rededicating your life to Christ, email us at info at wearebridge.church and let us know you made that spiritual decision. Also, if you are joining our Bridge Church online family for the very first time, we have a special gift for you. Email us at info at wearebridge.church to share some information so we can get that gift out to you. We're so happy that you joined us today and we can't wait to see you soon. Make sure to stay connected because we are so much better together. <laughs>